Good morning. Today we're reading from Psalms 121. It reads, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you are who you say you are, and we can trust you. Jesus, you say you will help us, and we can know that that's true because you said it. So help us trust that and help us to extend that help to the people around us. Um, we pray for all the terror in the world. We ask for your help, Lord. We don't even know what the solution might look like, but we can trust in your help. We can trust in your justice. We can trust in your goodness and that you're faithful, King Jesus, to your word. So um, even this weekend, as we remember the terror of 9-11, we pray for the families that were affected. We pray for the people that were affected. We pray for this nation, King Jesus, and um, all the things that resulted from that event that we may even not even be aware of. So we're grateful that, Holy Spirit, you are a helper. And King Jesus, we ask today that you would help us to, to trust you so much more, that you would help us even in the service to be attentive, to hear from you that, we wouldn't just know the scripture, but we would see you. May the word help us to see you and to, and to honor you and to, 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 to take you as worthy because you are so, so good, King Jesus, and you are worthy of our praise and so completely trustworthy. So thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, Mercy House. Good morning. Hey, one person out there. Nice. Welcome, my name is Tommy. I am the Director of Teaching and Ministry here. Glad you're with us. I do apologize ahead of time. I am super fired up from the first service, so I'm going, to I'm going to try to stay calm, speak slowly so you can hear me, but I'm just pretty jazzed up. It was a great morning of worship, and I'm excited to do it again. So, if you are just joining us now, you haven't missed very much. We just started our, our fall sermon series called Long Road Home. And last week, we set up the series. So we talked about the long road home. Um, and what it is is the songs of ascent. And these songs are a collection of psalms in uh, Psalm 120 to 134, which the Israelites would have sung on their pilgrimages back to Jerusalem. And their pilgrimages would have happened multiple times a year. And coming home for them was a really sweet reunion. Not just with their friends and their family, but kind of a, 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 an all-encompassing homecoming that would really allow them to experience what is familiar, what is comfortable. Uh, but perhaps even more importantly, Jerusalem for them was where the temple was. And what this meant was that this is where God resided. It's where they would have been able to worship God and experience a physical, emotional, and a spiritual wholeness and completeness. And so traveling as an alien uh, in a foreign land was exhausting for Israel. So this wasn't just an epic post-graduation backpacking trip through Europe to kind of see and experience different cultures. Living away from Jerusalem meant experiencing the practical inconveniences of, of being in a place that they didn't have the same norms. They didn't even speak the same language as you. 
It would mean facing hostility in some cases, uh, just being treated as an outsider, and it would have brought up in them a, a deep sense of homesickness, longing for home. Many of us here this morning can relate to this. Uh, in a very real and practical way. So if you're a student uh, living in a dorm, or if you're new to this area, if you're a professor teaching a new program here, or you're just kind of like new to Amherst, which a lot of people during the fall are because this is such a a transient community, you know what it feels like to be an alien, trying to navigate a new and unfamiliar place, to to be an outsider in a foreign land. And some of you uh, are from different parts of the world, and so you're learning literally the language of this area. Others of you are from different parts of the United States, which means you're still learning the language of New Englanders, which you'll pick up pretty soon, I hope. You know what it feels like to not be at home, is what I'm trying to communicate here. To, to, to even long for your home, which for some of you could be hundreds of miles away, could be thousands of miles away. So many of you can relate to the sense of homesickness. This practical reality of being homesick itself, it also plays out spiritually as well. So perhaps even more relatable is our experience of a spiritual alienation, which we talked about last week. So for Israel, their longing for home was, was more than just about the physical city of Jerusalem, but actually what the city represented for them, which is shalom, peace, wholeness, completeness. We talked about this last week, and, and not just a shalom in their hearts and with their fellow brothers and sisters, but most profoundly with God. See, we're all made for this shalom with God, which is the reason why Israel traveled back to Jerusalem multiple times throughout the year. That's why they'd make this treacherous journey, why they'd put themselves in harm's way multiple times a year in order to come home to the shalom of God. Those of us who are Christians who have put our faith in the work of Christ have been brought from our alienation from God back into his presence, back into the shalom We talked about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 last week. Remember, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We talked about how home is not a building. It's not where you have some familiar surroundings or you're used to the food or even where your biological family is. True home, true shalom is found only in God. And so for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we can have shalom no matter where we are. We can be home no matter what state, what country we're in, what continent we're on because our ultimate home, our eternal home is found in fellowship with God and with other believers. That's awesome. But the reality for us, the challenge, is that we're still often homesick. We still long for a home, and that's a reminder that while we're on this side of eternity, until Jesus comes back to fully restore us to his kingdom, we're still not truly home. We're we're home in one sense. We do have the shalom with God in Christ, but we're not home in the new Jerusalem, which God will one day bring us to. And so here we are. As a church, as a community of followers of Jesus, and we're walking this long road home, navigating through life, uh, spiritually at peace with God and with one another through Christ, but awaiting the restoration of our physical bodies and even the physical world around us. So as we think about this long road home, it's not without challenges. Anyone who's been on this pilgrimage as a follower of Christ, even for a week, would probably attest to the hardships that make up life under the sun. And last week, the distress of the pilgrim on the road, the primary one being lies and deception. 
The means by which Satan, the great accuser, the father of lies, creates chaos by distorting our perception of ourselves, of other people around us, and of God. But as sinister and destructive as lies can be, the psalmist lays out kind of a simple way to combat deception. By one, calling out to God, asking for discernment to be able to, 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 be able to see and be rescued from the lies that we're living in. Two, by just knowing God, by reading his word, knowing the, the, the father of truth and being able to use that to combat the lies in our life, lives. And also three, by living in covenant community like this with other people who can speak truth into our lives when we wander or are taken captive by the deceptions of Satan. And so this week, we continue on in the road home. The second song in the compilation album sings of other dangers on the road. And we're going to jump right in with verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so this psalmist opens with this experience of their eyes kind of darting on the horizon, looking at the hills and the mountains as they make their way home to Jerusalem. There's a couple ways that you can interpret this. One is that these hills or these high topographic points in the landscape uh, would have been where other cultures built their altars to the pagan gods, where people would make sacrifices and worship evil and demonic spirits that would stand in significant contrast and obvious opposition to God and his people. They, they would have represented significant emotional and spiritual oppression for the Israelite. Even hostility, as Israel uh, would, would really be trying to do everything they could to be faithful to God, despite these cultures all around them looking down on them as fools, mocking, chastising them for their beliefs and their practices. If you've ever had to be a Christian in a, concept, uh, in, a, in a context that doesn't accept Christianity or tried to live out your faith in a family or in a community that rejects what you believe in as good and right and true, then you know what the psalmist is talking about. These hills and these mountains would have been constant reminders to them that they are not home. They, they would have represented a constant bombardment on their faith in God. So these altars, as they're looking out into the hills, they would produce doubt in Israel. Israel, being a spiritual and cultural minority, would have experienced anxiety and doubt as they traveled and lived among these hills and mountains. Other commentators suggest that the hills and the mountains produced fear and anxiety in traveling because they housed bandits or robbers. And so the high ground would provide safety and a strategic upper hand. Their position in the hills will let them easily prey on anybody who's traveling down in the valleys below. And so the situation for the pilgrim traveling on the road in a foreign land would produce an, an experience of kind of constant fear. Their eyes would be constantly darting along the, the horizon, kind of like watchmen at the hills and the mountains, knowing how vulnerable of a position they were in, knowing that at any time, day or night, their family, their, their mother, their grandmother, their children, their spouse could be robbed or even murdered as they were traveling to Jerusalem. So whether you interpret this verse one way or the other, the reality that it's pointing out is that the potential dangers of life for us are real. We, we don't just face dangers of the mind and the heart like lies and deception, which is what we talked about last week, but also tangible dangers that, that cause real spiritual oppression, that have real emotional di dis uh, distress connected to them, or that pose serious risk to our lives and our limbs. It is important to note, though, that the psalmist is not actively being harmed or in present danger. Uh, what has their heart racing and their eyes darting and their mind panicking is the threat of danger on the horizon. 
And it's not for bad reason. Like I just said, the potential for those dangers are real, likely already experienced by Israel, but they are on the horizon nonetheless as potential or imminent threats to them. We can relate to this, can't we, Mercy House? If you've ever experienced anxiety on any level, I think that you can relate to this. The, the textbook definition for anxiety is this, a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Which means that for many of us, anxiety is primarily experienced not in the heat of the moment, but leading up to the moment. The heart of anxiety is uncertainty. It's the dangers that the hills and the horizon might hold or, 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 or what they might bring. The imminent spiritual, emotional, physical threats that lie on the horizon waiting to pounce, waiting to raid us, to rob us, to kill us. So Mercy House, if you struggle with anxiety, this psalm is for you. If you have fears about the future, if you have panic attacks in the thick of uncertainty, if your eyes are constantly and frantically looking along the horizon, terrified of what's going to happen next, if you're scared of everything and nothing at the same time, if you can't sleep because your mind won't stop racing, and sometimes you can't even move because the anxiety in your heart is crippling, Psalm 121 is for you, and you need to read it and hear it. In our deepest experience of despair within anxiety, we cry out along with the psalmist in, these, in this first verse, is there any help out there? Is there anyone who can help me right now? Where does my help come from? And the psalmist gives an answer as quickly as I ask the question in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The first point of the sermon this morning is this, true protection is found in God true protection is found in God. The pilgrim on the road to Jerusalem knows this truth. They've experienced this truth, and, and they're declaring this truth out of a place of head knowledge and heart conviction, that the greatest form of help and protection for them, both spiritually and physically, is from God, the person who made heaven and earth. Now, there are plenty of things that this psalmist could have declared that their help came from, which, which would have also been true. So they could have said, my help comes, is, comes from Israel's army, who can defeat just a few bandits in the mountains, right? Which would have been true. They could have also said, my help comes from the walls of Jerusalem that provide shelter and protection for my family and I, which would have been true. They could have said, my help comes from my brothers and my sisters who provide encouragement and they strengthen me spiritually and physically, which would have been true. See, none of these things would have been untrue, but what's sung about and declared by the psalmist um, it communicates the ultimate source of their protection from their perspective. More than the loving words of families, more than the fellowship and encouragement of friends, more than swords, more than chariots, more than armies, more than high walls of a kingdom, the psalmist elevates their greatest hope in the protection where it belongs, which is in God, the maker and creator of heaven and earth. Mercy House, don't shortchange yourselves. Don't settle for anything less than this. Don't try to find protection and a salve for your, for your anxious hearts and, and either your job security or your 401k and your retirement. Don't count on life insurance or the relationship that you're in with, with people who just kind of build you up. They, they might not always be there for you. Don't try to hedge your anxiety with more hours worked or more planning or some form of anxious toiling. None of these things are inherently evil or sinful, but Mercy House, they do not hold a candle to the complete and full protection of the God of the universe. True protection is found in God. That's nice and all, right? But what does this mean for each and every one of us here this morning? 
When we read this, we see that in the original Hebrew, this statement uh, is in the first person singular. So it's not saying our help, talking about the collective uh, Israel. And it's also not saying help in general, in the, the general sense of the word, is from uh, the Lord. The psalmist is, is saying my help, the unique help specific to my life and my fears and my anxieties is from the Lord. What we need to see in the wording of this is that our experience of God's protection is incredibly personal. That there's a difference between believing something and trusting something. And you see this in children if you've ever interacted with them all the time. So if you see a kid who's like under three and maybe they're trying to open up a package and you're like, hey buddy, can I help you out there? They will look at you if they don't know you like you're a psychopath, right? Or you try to give them a high five and the kid's like, no, I'm not going to touch your hand, right? Like, you're a stranger, right? It's this concept of stranger danger. And so if you don't know someone and you are a child, don't trust them. Like, that's literally what I tell my two little girls. And so it's not that they don't believe that you as a full-grown adult don't have the power to help them uh, to open up a package of Dunkaroos for them or that the kid doesn't believe that, that you don't have the ability to high five them. They simply just do not trust you. Belief in God's power, belief in the fact that he is the creator of heaven and earth and everything in between does not proceed automatically to trusting in him and his powerful protection of us. Some of us might acknowledge his omnipotence. Some of us might believe in his sovereignty over all creation. We might even submit under his authority, but we still don't trust him. We, we don't have a relationship with him. We might be able to say that protection is found in God, as kind of like a theological concept, but we cannot say with true conviction of mind and of heart that my protection is in the Lord. So Mercy House, it is a sad, empty, and lonely existence to have belief in God without trust in his character, without a relationship with him. It's kind of like being adopted by loving parents who all they want to do is they want to love and take care of and cherish that child, but that child never actually ends up trusting them to be their mother and their father. The child never trusts them uh, to, to shepherd them, to, to, to take care of them, to love them. And that's not what God wants. God invites us into a relationship to call on him as Abba, Father. And so if you believe in God, if, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, don't settle for anything less than an intimate, personal relationship of trust with God. If we believe in God and yet continue to live anxious and, and afraid of the unknown, eyes frantically darting and searching on the horizon for, for just the constant things that might be bombarding us or fears of uncertainty in the, the future, maybe trying to find protection and hedges in every corner of creation, then there's an element of trust that's missing in our relationship with God. So Mercy House, my question is, are we trusting God? Are we trusting in him in order to experience his protection in our lives? And if not, why not? And that's what I encourage you to spend some time in your quiet time this week. That's something that I've had to wrestle with as well. All right, so once we trust God, though, once we trust in God's protection, once we engage in a relationship with God, it becomes a sweet balm for our souls. It provides assurance in the face of uncertainty. It gives us confidence in the face of the unknown. It gives us courage where there's any threats of danger. But it's not just kind of like a silver bullet. It's not something that you just get and then it's gotten forever. Like, even the psalmist here, even needs to, they, they need to remind themselves of this truth over and over again. They're talking to themselves. They're saying, where does my help come from? 
It comes from the Lord. And you see this over and over in the Psalms, this self-preaching, this self-truthing. This is why, as a community, I want to challenge us to memorize Bible verses. This is why we want to challenge one another to, to sing songs of worship that communicate real biblical truths. This is why you should be preaching truths to yourselves, because our memory is always going to fail us, and we're constantly being bombarded by lies and the deceptions of Satan. So we must continually and constantly realign ourselves to what we know to be right and true. And this is what it means to live by faith each and every day. So the art of speaking truth into ourselves, it is so crucial for spiritual health, our own spiritual health, our own spiritual vibrancy. And I do want to challenge us to do that together. Okay, so true protection is found in God, and this protection of us is very personal. But what does God's protection look like practically on a day-to-day basis? The composition of the song changes here in verse 3, uh, and it shifts from the language, uh, in the language, uh, of, of, uh, to someone else who's actually speaking here. So where verses 1 and 2 are in the first person singular, the rest of the song is sung from a different perspective. It's actually directed at the person who's singing in the first two verses, which we just covered. So not only do we need to practice self-preaching and speaking truth to ourselves, what we're seeing here in just the structure of this psalm is the importance of speaking truth and helping realign and and encourage our brothers and sisters back to the gospel. And that's what we see starting in verse 3. Look at what the psalmist says. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. And so the second singer of this duet is doubling down on this protection that's found in God. The first psalmist introduces the idea and their buddy is kind of hearing along and they just kind of like jump in and start singing because they're really excited about it. And they say, yeah, let me tell you all about this protection. And the first thing that the psalmist says is that God won't even let your foot be moved. And God's care and his protection of you does not only exist on kind of like the extreme ends of the spectrum. So God is not like a lifeguard at a pool where your only interaction with the lifeguard is like when you're drowning. That's not what God's protection is like. What's being communicated here is that God's protection for us is constant. It's not just limited to like big events or emergencies. It's not only when you push like the OnStar button in your car after you've wrecked or when you call 911. Nothing escapes the eyes of his watch. He sees and is sovereign over every little minute tiny detail of our lives. He will not even let your foot be moved, Mercy House. God's protection is not just over all of those little details. It's also consistent. It's consistent. Look at the second half of three. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So in case you need to be sold further on God's protection of you, consider that God, the ultimate protector, the ultimate watchman, he never sleeps. So he doesn't nod off. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't need to like take a potty break or go heat up some food. God is not like a 24-hour security guard watching 12 monitors at once and like playing on their phone while they're doing the night shift. God's consistent and constant protection is like a father, a loving father with a jealous, intense love for his children, unlimited amounts of energy, and just unblinking laser focus all day, all night, 24-7, from now until forevermore. What other source of protection is even comparable to God's? Where else would you call out to for help? Mercy House, I personally need this kind of protection. 
I need a God who will guard me and protect me and to hold me up if I stumble or if I lose my footing. And I'm not talking about just literally. What the psalmist is getting at in speaking into God's protection goes beyond the physical world. What God's protection doesn't mean is that we will never stumble or that we won't fall or that we won't ever have any negative experiences that that produce pain or suffering in our lives as we travel on this long road home. But what it does mean is that nothing can stand in the way of God bringing us home. God's protection is capable in doing this. God in his sovereignty over all things will not be thwarted by the schemes of Satan or even by the schemes of us. If you're like me, then you may have experienced seasons that feel spiritually dry. Maybe seasons where you felt like you were lacking in faith. Maybe you're wavering, you're wobbly in your faith, you're wandering. Maybe you're just straight up floundering in your faith, which is a real experience, don't get me wrong. But don't for a second think that being in that place puts you outside of God's vigilant care and protection for you. See, we we might feel like we've made terrible decisions which drive such a great distance between us and God and thereby have placed us in some kind of timeout that's outside of his presence. We might even think that our spiritual livelihood is in our own hands, that on the worst of days, we're kind of like teetering, right, in our own power, balancing on this tightrope from just falling into faithlessness and oblivion. What this passage is communicating is that those are lies, Mercy House, That's Satan deceiving us by letting us think that we are in such great danger to ourselves that that God can't protect us from ourselves. I mean, think about how absurd that is for a second. As if God could be outmaneuvered or like outdangered. Mercy House, we cannot create such a mess of things in our own lives that makes God kind of pinch his nose and then abandon his guard post in our lives. God never says, man, Tommy's really far out there today. Man, I don't know how I'm going to get to him. He's in a real pickle. He's going to have to figure out how to come on home by himself. God never says, oh, man, that depression is just too deep for me. Or, oh, man, that darkness is too dark. I don't think I could go over there. That hiding place is too hidden. I can't find where they are. Absolutely not. There is nothing you can do or place that you can go that will put you outside of God's protective care. That's the blessing of being brought into relationship with God. As a Christian, by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The excited psalmist, and he's excited. Like, he's more excited than I am right now. He goes in verses 5 and 6, he says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So here we're seeing, we're seeing God is referred to as our keeper, as our keeper. In the Hebrew, this word is shamar, which means to guard or to protect, kind of like a watchman who, who would guard a city. And this word is sprinkled five other times in the verses before and after verse five. And the main point here is that, that protecting and guarding are not just things that God does, it's actually who he is. So God's character is, is one where, where he is just protecting what is his. He is guarding what is, what is his. And that's not his job. It's not like his duty or his responsibility. Mercy House, the Lord is your keeper. Like that's who he is. And he will guard you. He will keep you. He will protect you. And he will bring you home. No matter what dangers arise on the road or the dangers you place yourself in or how far away from the road you have wandered. Does anyone else need a keeper like this? I do. I know I do. 
God's protection is not just constant, it's not just consistent, it's not just capable, but it's comforting. It's comforting. The the protection and guardianship of the Lord is comforting. Look at verse 5 again. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. You know what's absolutely wild? That the sun can kill you. It can kill you. I'm not talking about like if you get into like Elon Musk's spaceship and go into the moon. Like, yeah, you're going to blow up and down. But I'm just talking about like if you spend too much time in the sun, the sun will kill you. And I, and I learn more about this as I get older because as you get older, you get concerned about things like sunstroke, right? Which wasn't a thing when I was a kid. Like I just got hot and I needed a popsicle and then I could like keep running outside. But now as an adult, I need to monitor how much time I'm in the sun mowing, making sure I'm drinking enough water because sunstroke is a life-threatening medical emergency. It can lead to significant damage in your organs, specifically your brain and your nervous system, which can lead to death. This isn't some new, like, 21st century danger brought on by by climate change. The the sun posed a significant challenge uh, and, and danger to the pilgrims who would have been traveling on the road to Jerusalem. And so for them, there was no AC. There were no fans. There was no, like, ice cream stand that you can walk to and grab a snow cone if you get too hot. But what Israel did have was shade. They had shade. Shade would have been a reprieve from the heat. Large shaded areas along the road would have been places to just stop and to rest. And that shade would protect you from the constant radiation of the sun. And so the psalmist I love this, likens God's protection to that of shade for the weary and exhausted traveler on the hot Middle Eastern roads on their way home to Jerusalem. That there's this sweet and comforting element to God's protection of us in our lives that that guards us not just from bandits and raiders and swords and arrows, but that also provides refreshment for our souls, that provides rest in our weariness, which is really countercultural to our moment in time right now. See, we live in an age of technology, uh, and technology has increased productivity and efficiency, but instead of using that to create less work for ourselves, we've leveraged it to make more work for ourselves. And culturally, we're known to just have a really aggressive work ethic as Americans, right? We live by this mantra, you work hard and you play hard, hashtag hustle, right? Like, that's like the American way right now. And one of the most beautiful ways that God demonstrates his comforting protectiveness over us is through the institution of a Sabbath. It's a day full of refreshment, revitalization, recuperation, and rest for us as we are pilgrims on this road home. As you read about Sabbath in the Bible, it's not a suggestion. It is a commandment from God, right? And this commandment, it's not only teaching us how to live in a trusting relationship with God, how to submit to his authority and fully rely on him, and not just by our own efforts uh, in order to stay alive on this road home, but what it's doing is it's also showing us his loving kindness, his protective and caring heart to build a day of rest into each week of work for us. What it is, is it's a day in the shade, Mercy House. So hard work is great. You absolutely should hashtag hustle in everything that you do. Like everything your hand finds, do it with all your might. And that brings good, awesome glory to God. But if you're not taking a Sabbath, if you're not having regular cycles of rest as it's commanded to us, let that reveal to you that you may not trust God as much as you could. You may be refusing an aspect of his comforting protection over you. So Mercy House, let's take time in the shade. Let's trust God and his protective command to rest. 
The, the road home is long. And so I want to challenge us to submit to his protective comfort as we go. His protective comfort is not just about taking uh, a day off from work each week. There are other places where God demonstrates his comforting pr- uh, protection. Sunday morning here is a beautiful example of his comforting protection. When, when we come here to worship on Sunday alongside one another, when we connect with one another and speak truth into one another and encourage one another, we're all experiencing God's comforting protection here. This space is one where God is actively guarding and keeping you right now, Mercy House. Consider that. And, and it's not about this building. It's not about these windows or the chairs that you're sitting in or the, or the monitors or like the fancy things up here on this stage. It's about God bringing you to this place this morning to receive his words that will bring refreshment and rejuvenation to your hearts and your souls. Not just as some sort of like intellectual exercise, like a lecture, but to breathe life into your dry bones, to light a fire inside of your hearts. What tender, loving care and protection over you. If you want evidence of God's protection over you, I think the fact that you're here this morning is evidence of that. It's not the only piece of evidence for it, but if God doesn't let your foot budge a nanometer away from his will for you, what does that say about you being here this morning? That he brought you here. That he coordinated the logistics of your life. He navigated the negative influences that may have barraged you all week. He navigated the the tumultuous desires of your heart, the impulses of your brain, in order to get you in that seat this morning to hear his words being preached into your heart. Mercy House, you could be anywhere right now. You could be grabbing a burrito at Bueno, a slice at, at Antonio's, but the fact that you're here is something to not be discounted. Yet you're here in this moment. Is, is evidence of God's incredible protection, protection over you as his beloved child. And so yield to that. Appreciate that and enjoy that. Be glad in that and know that you are, are his and he will keep you no matter where you've been this week, no matter where your heart has been this week, no matter what challenges that you face or hardships that you have endured this week, he will keep you. Look at verse 6. The the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So we talked about the sun. Let's talk about the moon. Uh, Some commentators here make a note uh, that there might be a poetic use of sun and moon. And historically, the moon has has been thought to induce some erratic behavior in both humans and animals. Um, It's been believed that moonbeams, and this is the thing, you can Google it. It's quite the rabbit trail. Moonbeams can make you go crazy. Uh, so hence the term lunacy or lunatic with the root word being lunar, referring to the moon. So I don't think the application here is like to be worried about werewolves or vampires necessarily, but there are nevertheless things that make us scared at nighttime. Even as adults, or at least some of us, nighttime is scarier than the day. Like when things go bump in the night, when you have to go into the dark cobweb basement by yourself, or maybe when you're camping in a tent, imagine you're by yourself and you're in the dark and you hear a growl outside your tent and you had to go to the bathroom, but you're going to hold it for seven hours until the sun comes up because you're scared. Darkness amplifies the unknown. So you know what's more scary, what is scarier than, than hills which would house bandits and robbers? Hills that would house uh, bandits and robbers at nighttime, right? Like in the darkness and in the quietness of the night, we find that our anxieties and fears, they creep in and they heighten. We probably, some of us, experience the most loneliness at night. Maybe we experience the, the deepest depression at night. 
We're certainly the most vulnerable at night, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But what the psalmist sings out, um, the, the truth that they're singing out is what we need to latch onto in verse 6. The, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. God's protection is calming for, for, for the Christian. As the lights go out and the room is dark, children need to have their closets and their beds checked to reassure them, to calm them in their fears. I think we're prone to be like children when the lights go out. We can become anxious, afraid, on edge, not able to sleep. God's protection does not just exist during the day. Remember, God doesn't sleep or slumber. His protection extends to our most vulnerable state, the eight or so hours where we just lay there unconscious on a bed. Later on this semester in Psalm 127, we're going to read in verse 2 of Psalm 127, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. If you find yourself anxious and afraid at night, if the fears of the unknown, whether figurative or literal, keep you awake, know that you can call out to the God who, who keeps you and guards you at all hours of the day and the night. And that his protection has an aim to calm you and to give you sleep. One of the places that we see this modeled uh, is really, really well in Jesus himself. So as you're reading in Mark 4, he's with his disciples on a boat. And this storm comes and, and the waves are breaking so intensely on that boat that it brings seasoned, lifelong career fishermen to a place of absolute panic. And they're thinking that they're about to die. And they're frantically looking around for Jesus who's asleep in the back of the boat. Like, talk about being in and trusting in the calming, comforting, capable, consistent, and constant protection of God the Father. But here's this ship, which appears to be on the verge of just wrecking and killing everybody on board, and the Son of God is just like in a deep REM cycle in a catnap. Like, I want that kind of trust in God's protection. Don't you, Mercy House? God's protection is constant. It is consistent. It is capable. It is comforting. It is calming. And lastly, this morning, God's protection is comprehensive. It's comprehensive. These, these past six verses that we've looked at um, in this short psalm build up to the climax in these two verses where, where the psalmist lands the plane. And in Hebrew poetry specifically, there's special attention to where you begin a song and then where you end a song. And it's very clear as you read this that the final verses here are what the psalmist wants us to re remember and what they want us to take away as the final notes of the song ring out. Look at verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. For those who are in a relationship with God, know that God will keep us and guard us from all evil, whether that evil is inflicted upon us or that evil is self-inflicted. God will keep our lives. Another translation is that God will save our lives. The reality is that, that we're not going to journey on this long road home without experiencing some, some bumps and some bruises. We live in a broken world with sinful people and an adversary whose purpose is to steal, kill, and to destroy. Mercy House, you won't navigate this road unscathed, but nothing will keep you from being brought home. Paul echoes this sentiment in Romans 8, verse 38. He says, For I am sure 
that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all creation real or imagined, whether that's a harsh bully or someone who just hates on you, no, no deep anxiety, no moment of true rebellion inside of us, no amount of faithlessness or wandering, no shaking doubt, no bump in the night, no fear of the unknown, no sort of like egregious sin that you can commit, no amount of darkness, no amount of hopelessness, depression, so deep, as it says, there's no panic attack that's too intense. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is why mercy has God protects us. God, God's protection over us, his keeping of us, is ultimately motivated by his love for us. The purpose of our protection is, is not just to make us happy or for us to feel good or feel safe or just kind of help us as we accomplish our own goals for our own glory. God's protection of us is to keep us in the love of God, not out of duty, but out of compassion. So this morning, if you're hearing this and you're not a Christian, um, this protection, not just of your physical body, but of your eternal soul is available to you this morning. And know that though you are destined to be separated from God because of your sinfulness, nothing thwarted God's love for you. He came in the flesh to die the death that you deserve in order to bring you home to himself. You can receive that by faith this morning. You can enter into God's eternal guardianship. And so I encourage you to respond. You can respond by coming back. There's a couple of people in the back who will wear some lanyards. We'd love to talk with you, to pray with you. I would love to talk with you. If you're not comfortable doing that in person, you can go to our website, mercyhouse365.org slash respond. And there are resources on there that you can look up this week and just learn more about what, it, what does it mean to submit my life to Christ? What does it mean to follow? What does it mean to, uh, to be inside of the eternal care of God? So I encourage you to do that. And there's a way on there to reach out to a person when you are ready. Remember these things, Mercy House. Remember them specifically as we take communion this morning. This meal, what it represents is the ultimate manifestation of God's love and his protection for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it, saying, eat, this is my body, broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is my blood of the covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. God, in his watchful eye, he saw our brokenness, he saw our sin, and driven by compassion and love, he entered into the world as our guardian and keeper to save our lives, to pay the cost which was his own life in order to be our keeper. And that's for, for this time forth and forevermore into eternity. So Mercy House, when we get this, when, when we settle into these realities and sing along with the psalmist in Psalm 121, when we're able to believe with our minds and then also trust in our hearts in the constant, consistent, capable, comforting, calming, and comprehensive nature of God's protection over us, that's when we can live as more than conquerors. That's when we're able to be brave and to be reckless for the sake of the gospel, it's when we'll be able to, to take a peaceful cat nap during the most harsh and severe storms of our lives. 
when we're able to say like Paul did, for me to be alive is Christ and to die is gain, when we'll be able to share the gospel with our friends, with our family, with our neighbors, with strangers, and not be scared of uncomfortable or hostile environments and situations because we're able to sing with the psalmist, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Mercy House, this psalm is not like a, just a lullaby that you sing as you go to bed. It is a war cry that is chanted by brothers and sisters in arms who under God's perfect protection, the, under the God of the universe, our loving Father, we can march against the very gates of hell. This is a big deal, Mercy House, and this is what the valley that we live in needs. So Lord, let that be for us today. Pray with me now. Father, we thank you. And God, we pray that you would raise up this generation right here, right now, to fight the good fight and to bring the incredible news of the gospel to the, to the spiritually impoverished, to the starving, to the sick, the suffering in this area, and to all the rest of the world. Father, we pray that you would bring your lost ones home, that you would bring us home, God. We thank you that we can trust that you will. So I pray that we as a church would draw great and reckless courage from your watchful eye that promises to keep us no matter what befalls us this day forth and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.